We're going to be in Daniel chapter 12. So last week, my oldest daughter graduated. Yeah. It's weird. It's just weird. Like, I just graduated like two years ago. So I'm like, I don't understand this. So we go to the graduation. It was over in Medford. And um, very unique speaker. So I asked my daughter after the graduation, I was like, what do you think about him? And she said, it seemed like he put it together that morning. I'm like, yeah, it kind of seemed like that. And what he had said was, uh, he had asked the valedictorian that morning, hey, what would you like me to talk about? (laughs) And she's like, well, life is hard. Is it worth it? I thought, what a brilliant question. Life is hard. Is it worth it? So his answer was this. He said, yes. You know why life is worth it? According to him, because the universe thinks you're awesome. Yes. It's all these gyrations that people go through now to not talk about God, right? So... uh, And then because of that, he said, so I want you to turn to two people, the two people next to you, and I want you to turn to them and I want you to tell them you're awesome. Well, my wife was on one side of me, so that was no problem. It's not a lie there. I'm like, hey, you are awesome. And the other guy looked like he was homeless and maybe he was there for the free cake. And I'm like, bro, if you'll put up for an entire graduation for free cake, you're awesome too. So I could honestly say you guys are awesome. (laughs) Now, is that true? Does the universe think we're awesome? Let me give you what a scientist has to say on this. His name is Richard Dawkins. He is the atheist of, or he is the high priest of atheism. And listen to what he writes about the universe. Quote, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Many others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are slowly dying or being devoured from within by rasping parasites. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. It must be so. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom No design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. I don't think the universe thinks you're awesome. (laughs) Not according to Richard Dawkins. People say that, you know, look at Mother Nature. Like, Mother Nature? You're going to call it Mother Nature? Do you know how brutal it is? I think a better term is stepmother nature. 
that's closer to what it is. Life is hard. Is it worth it? We're in the book of Daniel. And if you go through the book of Daniel, I think he might say the same thing. So let's recover. This is the last Sunday we'll be in Daniel. Daniel starts out like this. He's a young man, probably 14, 15. He's in Jerusalem with his family. And King Nebuchadnezzar brings his giant army and attacks. And I'll guarantee you, Daniel and his family pray, please, God, spare Jerusalem. But God does not spare Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar wins and defeats the city. And then Daniel will hear about this group that's going through the city and they're grabbing the prized young men and they're gonna take these young men and transport them 500 miles across the desert away from their family, away from culture, away from the temple, away from Yahweh to the worst city in the Bible called Babylon. And so he must have prayed, God, please help it not to be to me. I don't wanna leave my family. But he was selected. And so he gets to Babylon in chapter one, he's forced to eat stuff that he doesn't want to eat and learn stuff that he doesn't want to learn. And you know the struggle there. And I'm sure he thinks, you know what? If I kill it here, maybe I'll get to go home. And so he graduates chapter one from the three-year University of Babylon as valedictorian, but he doesn't get to go home. So in chapter two, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has this brutal dream And he won't tell anyone what the dream is, but he wants people to magically figure out what the dream is and then tell him the interpretation and no one can do it. So Daniel huddles with his three boys. They pray. God gives him the revelation and the dream. He tells it to Nebuchadnezzar and he must have thought, this will be my ticket home. But it wasn't. So chapter three, he and his three buddies are faced with this dilemma, bow down in worship or be thrown into a fiery furnace. And his three buddies say, no. And they're thrown into a fiery furnace, but something amazing happens. They don't burn. And they must have thought, now we'll get to go home. Nope. Chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has another nightmare. He goes insane, eats grass like an ox. Daniel predicted all this, but at the end of Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar believes in Yahweh and Daniel must have thought, now we'll get to go home. But he doesn't. Chapter five, a new empire comes in. Babylon's defeated. The Medo-Persian empire comes in and Daniel must have thought, now I can go home. This is a new empire. They won't care about me. I can go home. But he doesn't. And then chapter six, in that new empire, he's taken and he's thrown into a pit of hungry lions and they don't eat him. And he must have thought after that, now I'll get out, go home. But he doesn't. And then chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, he has these visions where it's, hey, Daniel, you've seen evil. It's just going to get worse. This cycle that you're seeing, there's going to be one evil empire after another, and they keep coming up, and then eventually there will be a super mega evil empire with a super mega evil dude, and it's going to get really bad right? Chapter 12, verse 1 puts it like this. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been 
since there was a nation till that time. It's going to get horrific. How would Daniel feel? Life is hard. Is it worth it? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe it was because of a strained relationship. Life is hard. Is it worth it? Maybe it's because of financial problems and you wonder, life is hard. Is it worth it? Maybe a marriage problem and you wonder, life is hard. Is it worth it? Maybe it's kids, raising kids. Maybe it's getting kids to go to bed. Maybe it's getting kids to get out of bed. Maybe it's getting your kids to brush their teeth consistently. Is it worth it? Come on, are you kidding me? Right? We can all feel this. Maybe it's your job. It feels like you roll a rock up to the top of the hill and you come back the next morning and it's just at the bottom. And you're doing that over and over and over and over and over again. Life is hard. Is it worth it? What's God's answer to Daniel? Daniel, buck up, little camper. The universe thinks you're awesome, bro. No, look, keep reading. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What's God's answer to this guy, Daniel, who'd been through a lot of stuff and a lot of disappointment? What's his answer? Hey, listen. One day, you graduate. Life is boot camp. But the good news is, one day you graduate, Daniel, and your graduation will be out of this world, quite literally. If you know Daniel, Daniel mirrors very much with the book of Revelation. Because Revelation also says, it's going to get really bad, really bad, really bad. And then the end of it is, hey, graduation eternity. So I want to take some time today and I want to look at what eternity is for you and me. So if you would flip forward in your Bibles to the very last book called Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, because Daniel who had hardship and difficulty, the hope that he's given is the hope of eternity. And ultimately for the believer, that's our hope that no matter how hard things are, We keep this hope. We keep this hope, right? So Revelation 21. And I'm going to give you a couple things that I find shocking. Number one, we say we're going to heaven. Not necessarily. Look at this. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What comes out of heaven and descends down to us? A city. 
Like, we're going to live in this city called New Jerusalem. And you can read about the city. The rest of these two chapters is describing this city. The foundations, the walls, the gates, the river, the tree of life. It's this city. Now, we're Grant's past people. What do we think about cities? Right? We chose to live here because of that right there, right? That's why I'm here. And so we look at cities like, hmm, Medford, (laughs) Dreadford, Ashland, Trashland, LA, La La Land, man, Seattle, it's dying. Portland, weird, (laughs) just weird, right? Vegas, it's Vegas. You don't have to say anything else. So we have this kind of like, he, right? We like mountains and we like rivers and we want clean air and we want trees and, oh, that's what we want. So when we think about cities, we think about crime. We think about, I don't want to raise my kids in that environment with the, the, influences and the drugs and that culture. So we review cities, right? We don't like traffic. We don't want to be stuck in traffic for 45 minutes to go one mile. We'll do that once a week on Sunday and that's it. (laughs) No other days. (sighs) And so when we hear it's a city, we go, huh? Doesn't sound good. But notice this city. Notice the crime. Look down at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then flip forward to first. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable. In this city, there's no crime. Zero. The crime rate is zero. How about the traffic? The Bible says there's 12 gates into it. There's plenty of exits. It's not one way out and that's it and you get stuck behind people, there's tons of gates. And there's never road construction. Because guess what the, the streets are made of? Gold that doesn't wear out. So you don't have detours. You don't get lost. There's no crime. There's no traffic. On top of that, there's a river that runs through this city. What that means is this. In an ancient city, you were always worried about running out of Water, right? They didn't have wells necessarily that you could pump up. It was, water was a key thing. You had to have water. This has a river running through the center of it. What God was saying was this, there's resources here. There's resources. And there are some good things about cities, aren't there? Yes, there are. I'll tell you, right? You can go to cities and and there's really good food to eat. There's cool places to go shopping. There's really fun activities. Stores in cities stay open past 5 p.m., which is such a novel idea. Like, maybe we should stay open 
when people get off work so they could buy something. Oh man, that's a great idea. We don't seem to have got that here yet. So hopefully, right? There's race cars, there's plays, there's museums, there's water slides, there's Ikea. Yeah, right? Like there's good things. That's what this city is. This city, if you read about it, it's the marriage of the best of city and the best of country together. It's why people refer to it as the garden city of New Jerusalem. So guys, you can fly fish the river of life while your wife shops Saks Fifth Avenue at the same time. It's a brilliant city. We're going to a city. Number two, notice the size. Look down at verse 16. The city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. It's a giant cube that is 1,400 miles on each side. That 1,400 miles is the same breadth as the Roman Empire when Revelation was written. What God was saying was this, my single city is bigger than your entire empire, Rome. You got nothing on me. It's massive. So what's the main problem in a city? People. There's too many people. There's too many people on the roads. There's too many people in lines. There's too many people at the restaurant. There's just too many people. It's crowded, right? There's just too many people. You look at statistics of like the most dense cities in the world, they're unbelievable. So Seoul, North, not North, South Korea, Seoul, is the most dense city in the world. There are 16,000 people per square kilometer. So that means this with roads, with sidewalks, with shops, with everything, each person, if you eat with roads, all that, each person gets 644 square feet. That's about the size of your suburban. It's insane. Packed. Because of that, we're having all these ideas of how to house people in smaller places, right? So there's all these ideas about tiny homes. You make them out of like straw bales or water bottles and you insulate them with old, old Navy sweatshirts. And the only people that live in them are like young people and elves. That's it. And it's nutty because the problem with cities is always there's just never enough room. Oh, this place is massive. Here's how big it is. Let's imagine there, there's right now 7 billion people on earth. And there's more people alive right now than have ever lived. So if you add up all the people alive right now, plus everyone that's lived, you come to about 12 billion people. So let's imagine all 12 billion people get saved, put faith in Jesus, and they end up in New Jerusalem. Guess how much space you would have if all 12 billion of us lived in New Jerusalem? Each of us would have one mile by one mile by one half mile thick. That's a massive chunk of land. So you right now with your large city, one third acre, you're gonna get 640 acres, massive. And the best part about it is there's no property tax in New Jerusalem, <laughs> right? It's massive. 
Here's the point of it though. We can get lost in those details. Here's the big point. What God is saying is this. I have this beautiful city and I'm expecting a lot of company. I want every person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want anyone to be left behind. I've got room for you all. Come to this eternal feast that you celebrate with me. That's the big point of it. Come, I have room for you. Come in. So it's shocking because it's a city. It's shocking because of the size. And it's also shocking because of the walls and the gates. So this place has these walls. This place has these gates. But notice something. Look at verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Then skip forward to verse 25. And its gates will never shut by day. And there will be no night there. So guess what? The gates never close. Why do you have a gate that you never close? Isn't that silly? Why does God have 12 gates in this city and they're never going to be closed? Because the gates are not for defense. They're for decoration. That God has these massive pearly gates And they're there for one purpose, to make New Jerusalem beautiful. Do you know that God loves beauty? And for some believers, that's a shock. Because there's this idea almost that Christians, if we, if, we, if we love beauty and want to make our homes beautiful or want to make a church beautiful, that then we become materialistic. We should just be plain Jane. I think the opposite. I think that idea comes more from communism than it does from Christianity. Like, look at the architecture of the USSR, that communist empire that ruled for 60, 70 years. You look at it, guess how they built buildings? Concrete, square, ugly, windowless, because they thought of people as a commodity, not as a community, and they could care less. As long as you got a place to live, it doesn't matter. And a lot of those countries, you read about the Polands and you read about the Romanias. To this day, they're trying to recover their artistic beauty because of generations of just having nothing. I think God loves beauty. I think you and I should love beauty. Like I fought for certain things in this place, in this building, like these right here. Like, I don't know how many times I'm like, no, we got to do those. No, we can't do those. I'm pretty sure you can do them. No, we got to do those. No, I don't think we do them. Yeah, I think we can. Finally, we got an architect who's like, yes, let's do that. I'm like, praise God, because it's beauty, and beauty matters, yeah. Right? It's the reason why we paint our walls a different color, right? Because we worship the God of heaven, not a doctor's office. White is sinful. We want colors, for crying out loud, Right? <laughs> We need to be artistic. God is artistic. He loves beauty. It's awesome. It it represents the Imago Dei in us when we embrace beauty, right? So it's brilliant. Read these chapters. This is the hope that's given to Daniel in a very hopeless cycle of evil. 
right? So the point of the Bible, I think, if you read the whole thing, is New Jerusalem. It's the last thing. It's God is driving the whole story to this place where it's like, okay, New Jerusalem, here's it. We're headed there. This is where we're headed. Well, Matt, how does that make any difference? Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it makes a difference. Number one is this. So earth to me is like a rest area. Do you guys like going into a rest area when you're driving a long ways? Isn't it nice? So when I took trips like with high schoolers for um, Edgewater, I'd always stop at the rest areas. You know why? I get the kids out and I make them run 50-yard dashes, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because I love a tired teenager in a van. Like it's the best. Just go to sleep. Let's go, right? So I love them, man. We'll stop there. We'll get refreshed. But what happens if you try to live in a rest area? Yuck. Go to the north Merlin exit. That's what's happened there. And they've trashed the place, right? It can't take the weight of life. It's okay as a rest stop, but it can't take the full weight of life. Listen, this world is a rest stop. It cannot take the full weight of what it means to be an image bearer of God. It can't take the full weight of the angst and the desires that we have. They are bigger than this world can ever take. But if you look at life, look at this earth like a rest stop, Man, it's brilliant. It's perfect. My destination is New Jerusalem. And this is just part of the journey. This is a rest stop that I'm hitting at. All right, number two, I stole this from C.S. Lewis. He's a really smart guy. Um, if you want to be really smart, steal really smart people's ideas. And if you want people to think you're really smart, don't tell them who you stole your ideas from. So C.S. Lewis says this. He says, imagine a building and half the occupants of the building think the building is a hotel. And the other half of the occupants of the building, they believe the building is a jail. Who will enjoy the building more? Well, the people that believe it's a hotel are going to constantly be complaining. Man, why didn't the maid show up today? Where's she at? Man, my room is a mess. Man, the, the bed is uncomfortable. Man, the food is lousy. My eggs were cold. It's so gross. Yuck, Right? because they have too high of an expectation. The people that believe it's a jail, guess what? They're gonna be like, oh my goodness, they didn't lock the doors, we can leave. This is the craziest jail ever. There was a bed in my room, there was food, wow, I'm so thankful. What's your perspective on earth? Is it supposed to be a hotel that satisfies all your needs? Or is it actually a prison? I think the prison is much closer to the Bible. Read Romans 8, verse 20. It says, all of creation has been subject to futility. It means there's a futileness, a captivity of creation right now. Why? Genesis 3. That when Genesis 3 happened, the fabric of the cosmos was ripped and it's still recovering. But that text goes on and says this, that now creation groans and waits for the revealing of the sons of God, you and me, when one day we will take our rightful place with King Jesus, ruling and reigning for eternity. And all of creation says, that's what I'm waiting for. That one day the chain is broken. One day the spell is loosed. 
and life on earth is the way it's supposed to be. And that's coming for all of us. So the Bible keeps putting out in front of us, read Paul, read the epistles. Paul's always saying, man, to live is Christ, but to die is. Now, why would he say that? Because he understood New Jerusalem. He understood it was coming. He had the destination in his mind. He goes, this is just a rest stop. I'm gonna put too much pressure on it. I'm just moving through it. Life can be hard, but it's worth it. It's boot camp and graduation is out of this world. That's the Bible. So I read that and I have to think to myself, how does that actually change the way I live my life? How does that change the way that we do church? So there is an idea that I really like. It's called biblical theology. Biblical theology is this. There are ideas that are central to the Bible and they really go through, they actually tie, they weave through all of scripture. I could go through a bunch of them. I don't want to for time. One of them we're hitting on right here. And it's this idea that I believe God has always wanted to create a good place for his kids to live. Isn't that the way Genesis begins? God creates on day one, and what does he say? Man, it's good. Day two, it's good. Day three, it's good. Day four, it's good. Day five, it's good. Creates the image bearers, man and woman, it's good. And then what does he say? It's yours. The Garden of Eden is yours. Eat, drink, sleep, reproduce. It's yours. You are my co-regents. You are my image bearers raining down here. Take and use it. A good place. And what did they do? They trashed it. But does God give up? No, he very quickly grabs this guy named Abraham and he says to Abraham, Abraham, you're my bud and I'm gonna give you something. I'm gonna give you kids and I'm gonna give you a promised land. And that's what God does. Gives him this nation called Israel. And then God, when the people move into Israel, guess what he does? He makes these laws that are very unique. He says this, he says, when everyone gets into the land, then I want families to be given a farm. They get a family chunk of property. And then he makes these rules about that property. He says this, if that family gets on hard times and they decide, man, I got to sell this property. If they sell it on the outside of the title is going to be written how to redeem it. So whatever you sold it for a hundred shekels, then you can redeem it for a hundred shekels or one of your cousins or uncles can redeem it for you for a hundred shekels. You can always buy your home back. But then God takes another step in it. He says this, every year of Jubilee, every 49th year, no matter who owns that property, it has to return to the original family that owned it. It must go back to that family. It's like God saying, all right, so the parents screwed up. Doesn't matter. I'm giving the next generation a shot at this. The family farm comes back to the sons and the daughters. It comes back to the family. How cool is that? Because God says, I want my kids to dwell in a good spot. And then you keep reading the Bible. And Jesus says this in John 14. Hey, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want to create a good space for you to flourish in. And then we come to the very end of the Bible, chapters 21 and 22, and there it is. There's a good space where people can flourish. How cool is that? It's what every dad wants for his kids, right? If you have kids, you want them to, to have a home that you're like, that is brilliant and beautiful. Oh, you flourish there. It's the very bookends 
of our Bible, Genesis 1 and Revelation 21 and 22. So cool. And here's something that a while ago I did research on, like how important is it for people to own their own home? And I'm amazed at what happens. When you own your own home, here's the statistics. You have kids that have a higher rate of graduation. You have much less teenage pregnancy in that home. Your kids have life skills because there's something about owning your own. You show them how to change a faucet or you get life skills because you own a home. The, the people that live in the home volunteer more hours in their community. There's less crime. Here's one that, 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 that was stunning to me. Less crime happens to people that own their own homes. Like how crazy is that? And here's the only thing that they could figure out, that somehow by owning a home, you are less likely to get out into areas where there's crime. So just things don't happen to you. Like it's amazing. Just I can go on and on and on and on. So this started me like thinking and talking with people like, how can we help people own their own homes? How can we do that? So all of that birthed this idea, we call it now home bridging. And what home bridging is this. We live in Grants Pass, and Grants Pass has very high rents. Have you noticed that? It's high, like 1500 bucks. But we're not, we have high rents, but we don't have high um, pay. So average family makes about $38,000 a year. So if you're making $38,000 a year and you're paying $1,500, $1,700 a month to rent, guess what that means? You're poor, man. You're poor. It's hard to be putting money away to then make a down payment on a house. So we're in this really tough cycle. Um, a guy told me after service, and I don't know if this is right, but he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. He goes, we are the third hardest community in America to own a home. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know if that's right or not. Don't quote me. Someone told me. I, I read the internet and the internet told me that. So we got this thing. And I keep thinking, like, what do we do? So home bridging came up. I said, what about this? What if we had these donor families where God has blessed them financially and they are able to put in like $25,000 a piece. And so we get five donor families that say, for instance, and then we've got $125,000 cash money because a lot of the really good deals, guess what? Number one, they're not loanable. And number two, they go fast. So what if we had this pot of $125,000 and we could look at these homes that could be potential pot homes, or not, I shouldn't say pot, should be a potential drug homes, you know, and we, we buy them. So we're, we're killing two birds with one stone. We buy them with that $125,000. We rehab them. We make them livable with that money, with volunteer hours from the community of faith. And then we say to this, this Homebridge family that we've had them do a budget We've walked with them for six months. They're saving money. They're showing that they can own a home. And we say this, that just, they're going to be perpetual renters forever. But we say to this home bridging family, okay, now you get the home. And for three years, what they're doing is they're paying back the donor families at 5% interest, right? Just, and it'd be like 800 bucks or something. So way less than your rent. And then over the course of three years, they get credit, they get established, and then they're able to then take out a conventional loan and then they buy the home from those five donor families and they become a homeowner. So that was my dream. So here's where we're at. Yeah, you can clap. It's a pretty good idea. 
So we just bought our first home bridging home. Here's, a pic- here's some pictures of it. So we got a home. We've got donors, really great people who are like all in. Um, we just purchased that home. Um, and we have a donor, a family that they're awesome. They're a totally awesome family. Like I'm so stoked for them to be blessed with this. So here's the part where we get a partner in this. And we want to bless this family. I just call it a rocket boost. This is a rocket boost that's going to affect you for the rest of your life. That if we plant this, this family in this community, and they are just, they're missionaries. But we plant you there. You're a light. You're going to change that community. You're, it's awesome. So let's give you a rocket boost up to that. And the way that we do it as, you know, maybe not people that can just write checks for $25,000, the way that we do it, although if you want to write a check for $25,000, there is the opportunity for you. And it doesn't mean you're giving that money away. That money comes back to you. They're paying it back. It's just a way to say you're leveraging yourself for whatever, the most three years to help somebody to rocket boost them out. So um, what we now get to do is we get to say, well, I can volunteer some time. So this Saturday, I think it's Friday and Saturday, we're just having a work party there. We're going to tear off roofs. We're going to do landscaping. Any ability that you have, we will be able to use you. So come there, and we're just going to say to this family, hey, we're going to rocket boost you. And then my hope is this, that this is home bridging number one, and a couple years we're doing home bridging number 500, that we just start to say, grants pass. We're going to turn this thing back. We're going to make Grants Pass the easiest place in America for a family to own a home. Like, that's my hope, because I think it's God's heart for us. He wants people to own homes. So we have a sign-up out back. Uh, If you want to sign up to volunteer, if you're someone that says, you know, I could be a donor family, I can be someone that says... So I got numbers. We have people that have already said, we have about a half million dollars right now. People said, I'll join in just from last service. saying So there's five, maybe four, three homes, whatever. We can do this three times again. So I think we got, we're onto something here. And I love, Jesus says this. It's his prayer. He says this. He says that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's God's will in heaven? That we live in a beautiful place called New Jerusalem that we flourish. So why shouldn't we say, while we're here, in this jail or this prison, whatever you want to call earth, while we're here, let's see as much of God's will be being done right here, right now, helping families, rocket boosting them into home ownership, getting them out of rent, blessing people, right? On earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus today, we... I am amazed at what's happening. That we own this home. That Edgewater as a church has not had to put up a single dime. That it's people moved by your spirit wanting to partner in this thing and saying, we'll do that. I pray that you would repay those donor families good measure, pressed down, running over in their businesses, in their marriages, as moms, as dads, that you would just open the storehouses of heaven and rain down upon them blessing. I pray for the family that's going to get this home. Jesus, I pray that they are so blessed. 
I pray for those in this crew right here who are saying, I'll donate time. I'll tear off a roof. I'll mow a lawn. I'll clean up. I'll cook a meal. I pray that, that partnering with you in this way, we would find the best blessing. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we pray that because of your people and grants past, that we would earn a reputation that we care for families to be in homes that they own. That we would be the easiest place in Oregon for a family to own a home. So do a work, Lord. May it be better than we could expect. And so we place this home and this idea, we place it before your throne and ask for you to do what we could never do. And we pray this in your name.